0: The way we treat our animals tells us how we treat ourselves. Mm. I mean, it's all about how a culture works and I I think
1: it underlined the lack of leadership in the racing industry. There's a small segment of the population who gamble regularly. My feeling is that there are too many race meetings, there are too many horses... And there are too many horses that are discarded once it's proven that they're not champions.
0: Renée Zellweger is wonderful as Judy Garland. The flashbacks to the making of The Wizard of Oz and the brutal treatment she received from that sleazebag Harvey Weinstein-esque bully Louis B. Mayer, the ridiculous regime the studio system made her live under, work under, was so horrifying. Horrifying.
1: I get it. I totally get it. But you've got a finite time when you can play this game. You're at the peak of your power. You are a, a an elite sports athlete. And you are working for a club that happens to be in a state that's not your home state. There's a part of me that sort of thinks, oh, suck it up. When you feel that the story is just a bit too over the top, or maybe you
0: can't quite prove it, or you're not quite sure, or you can't get anyone to verify it, what do you do? You write the whole story as fact without naming names. The word clap was in the headline. Oh, God! Um, sakes. See, you're too nice, you're too chatty. I go somewhere like that to be silent, because for me silence is a gift.
1: Don't shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello everyone, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, I am Corrie Perkin, this is episode 105 of our little podcast and I'm here as I am each week with my dear friend Caroline Wilson. Hello Caro
0: feels like it's been years, Corrie. feels like we have, we haven't sat together and done that. We had a week off
1: last week. We had a
0: little mini break,
1: as we, did, we call
0: it. Which means we're chock-a-block full of topics.
1: And just to one of our listeners, Humphrey, I'm sorry that we weren't on the airwaves last week. He was apparently quite distressed that we weren't up and running. So here we are this week, full of vim and vigour, Caro. Lots to talk We've about. we both read a great
0: new book. We I've have. been to
1: a fabulous movie. You've, you've got a recipe, and you've had the book club weekend, so we'll hear more about that uh, in a little while. And, and Harry's finally admitted
0: that he and Will have got some issues.
1: Oh, I didn't hear that.
0: Yeah, he did an interview last night. He did oh, an interview really? last night. He he and Megan did an interv- a big interview with ITV. Or um,
1: so. What are the issues?
0: He just said, "Look, you know, we have good days and bad days, and we don't see each other as much as we used to because, you know, our lives go in separate ways." Does he He's, mean
1: they had good days and bad days personally, or with yeah. one another?
0: With one another.
1: Oh, so bad days, bad relationship. He's basically
0: admitted to um, a bit of a rift in the relationship. He's also said he's my brother and I love him and I'm there for him and he's there for me. And Megan said that she was warned by her friends he's a lovely guy but don't marry him. The tabloids will kill you. So, and then and then another reports come out and Will has said I'm worried about uh, that. Will is worried about Harry. Oh, so there you there you go.
1: Oh, really? As always,
0: there's always a modicum of truth in those tabloids, Corrie.
1: Oh, yes, there is. So, when the
0: royals are concerned.
1: We have a bit of housekeeping and uh, I have an apology to our dear, lovely listener, Justin Irwin, who told me via Facebook that I should not be telling people to go to Officeworks to buy their diary because it is a multinational that we should actually be buying local old fashioned local service like you get used to a bit like my bookshop says Justin who is also a customer at the shop Justin point taken I'm I don't apologize for telling people to go to office works because they do have a good selection of diaries now a lot of shops do not I think that was also probably my point that I didn't make clear some people like me are obsessed about getting a diary in August and September there aren't a lot of places that To sell Make them. all the
0: appointments as, as I advised you to do
1: last week. Correct, Amondo. Mm. And would... also Carol, Anita Morris on Facebook said, looking forward to seeing the goldfinch. This was after your review last week. And she said, I agree that atonement was a very true adaptation, like Carol. I'm a big fan of Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet.
0: Speaking of appointments, you were like um You were like somebody who has a serious addiction when you found out that our favourite hairdresser was closed for the week last week on your mini break, weren't you? I mean, isn't it terrible when you just rely on something so dearly? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I was caught. Your hair looks
0: very nice. You've obviously found somewhere else to go.
1: Well, I did, and I'm not mentioning it because there's nothing worse <laughs> than hairdresser politics, which is a topic that you and I should discuss sometime. If you want to know what's going I can, on, I can recall, go to the hairdresser. I can recall about 20 years ago, because uh, the children were really small, so that's how long I've been carrying this baggage that I decided that this particular hairdresser, that was it. You know, we had to part ways. He was too chatty. The sessions took way too long. He knew, like, it was just not working for me. He and knew too so much I, about I, your sn- life. I snuck off to another hairdresser, ran into him two weeks later in the coffee shop, getting the takeaway flat white. Oh, oh hi. He said, I haven't <laughs> seen you for a couple of weeks. Oh, you know, been I had, away. <laughs>
0: I had someone who rang me once, who rang me and said, why haven't you been coming? Why have it? How bad was that? How bad was that? That was like no, 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 no. Leave me alone. You know, hassling. But but see, you're. I know this is completely off topic, and we have to get going. But my thing is, see, you're too nice. You're too chatty. I go somewhere like that to be silent because for me, silence is a gift, and I don't get enough of it in my life. So I get there and pick up a book or a crossword or a newspaper, and I'm silent. And once there was a um, the girl I used to go to had a trainee and. She was telling the trainer, you do this, you do that, you hold the brushes in, blah, blah, blah. Now, some customers like to talk. Caroline does not like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, I'm known as the You're... rude bitch who doesn't like to talk.
1: That's ridiculous. You're one of the chattiest people I know, You're but I know what you mean. I know it's it's a cliche, but that old, so what are you doing tonight? I'm just, oh, <laughs> it's at That's home. What's your day? <laughs> What's your day? <laughs> I'm watching yet another episode of that crazy, stupid Oh, you're, st- you're not
0: still doing um, third, designated survivor? Third series oh, my episode. Every
1: each series has twenty five episodes or something. On my mini break, I watched eighteen. And episodes. Keith Sutherland
0: just I goes. I know. His voice no, 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 and no,
1: no, I can't hear him. Um, I want to tell Potties also, Carol, just to pop in your diary if you'd like to join us. We're having a Christmas party in December. The date is still to be confirmed. First week of December. Definitely. It's going to be, going to be at a venue in South Melbourne and i can't tell you anything else because we're still fluffing around about the actual date but uh we do hope that you'll come along and um and be it's going to be an evening function it is going to be an evening. 6:30 6:30 a drink tickets
0: will be guests. tickets
1: will be 80 dollars so that that sounds a lot i know but um part of that is going to that, that'll cover your drinks and you know Corey, food it's and an stuff. absolute bargain with and, the and, entertainment some of the money, we're going to put on and some <laughs> Kara's going to do a strip. She's going to sit in a hairdresser chair and not talk for an hour. And um, some of the money is going to a charity close to our hearts, which you and I have to discuss in all earnestness. We have to discuss now. I want to know how your October challenge is going. Dreadful. I don't like these Good. challenges. I'm glad we do it. No, come on. I never you ever them.
0: I know. Well, look. Um, I read that wonderful book that we're about to talk to, and I was going to get back into reading. And I went away on my girl's Book Club weekend, a famous um, event where no reading is done whatsoever because all you do is play Scrabble, go for long walks and maybe have a few champagnes <laughs> and eat lots of food and talk a lot. And so I am now, I'm still on A.A. Gill. I just read another beautiful essay, another beautiful article,
1: and I haven't started okay, my next novel. Failure. Okay. Failure. Unlike me. So my thing is that I, that I was going to uh, be the canary down the coal mine for all of us who like to cook, and I was going to test drive a few of the new cookbooks that have come into the shop for Christmas because this is the time when the cookbooks come out I've cooked out of three in the last week, Carol. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and um, which is I did the best? not say that smugly, so that did not that no.
0: did not. Re- no, I'm really impressed. Are you go- is one of them going to be your recipe of the week? One of them
1: is going to be the recipe for the week. So the first book uh, that I cooked out of, and in fact, you you were the beneficiary of a couple I of was? the recipes out of this. It's the shared table by Claire Scrine Claire is a Brisbane food stylist and food writer and I love this book in fact those who came to or who listened to the 100th episode I said this could be the cookbook of the summer I'm reserving my award for that because all of the new November titles are soon to come in and there are quite a few cookbooks there, Caro, so I'm not going to say this is the cookbook summer, but gee, it's going to be close. There are so many terrific recipes, vegetarian and vegan feast to cook for your crowd. So I cooked a couple of things out of this. One I will, um, oh, I may or may not mention, I don't know, I haven't decided what my recipe of the week is going to be. The second one I cooked better, out of- You better hurry up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still deciding. I'll see how the podcast goes. Um <laughs> Because one is longer than another, so I'll see how we go for time. But this one, Carol, Round to Hours, I've talked about a few weeks ago. This has actually been out since about August, I think. In fact, your daughter, Clem, I think she picked up a copy in the shop. Round to Hours is, is two English girls who literally uh, – run a business where you go to their house because they have it all set up with tables of 10 or 12 or whatever. If you're living in London digs where you can't entertain because your place is too small, you go around to ours, they cook for you, and this is a collection of their recipes – I had so much fun cooking out of this book. I can't tell you. And then the third one is the latest Donna Hay. Miss Jane's
0: taken it out of your arm. Is it gr- In a vice like this, yes, say grit.
1: something, Has- Jane? Um, for podcast listeners, this is Alice Levine, who is one of three people who hosts the podcast. My dad wrote a porno. Oh yes, which, we know her. If you are in for extra smart but in love a it. ridiculous love dad way. Listen to my dad wrote a porno. She's a big BBC radio talent as well. Alice Levine, one half of the uh, writers of this, and has a bit of a cult following. So there you go. If you have listened to My Dad Wrote a Porno, Caro is looking at me It is No, sad. no, no.
0: My, my daughter's raved to me <laughs> yes, about it. This is
1: such it. a good cookbook, Caro. There are there are so many things that we would love to cook here in Australia. You know I'm not a huge fan of English cookbooks generally, apart from Ottolenghi. So I think it's a really good book. The food styling's great. And then the third one, I cooked the most delicious... I'm, I'm in love with this book. Could also be the cookbook of the summer. Weak, light... Wwk week light by Donna Hay. So this is a whole lot of you know eat healthy kind of things. You know how Donna's now on that new you know thing of hers. Last week I cooked spaghetti with super green almond pesto. It's a great recipe. Well,
0: if you said my pesto with walnuts and macadamia nuts didn't count as pesto, yeah,
1: so I know. But this, I, has got, this has still got the basil in it. But anyway, what just in case um, potties do buy the book and they are drawn to this recipe, a little tip. I just thought I'd spice it up a bit with some chili. So I chopped up some chili, had it on the side to begin with, whether it needed it or not, I wasn't sure. It did. It really worked with that and if you wanted to crisp up some bacon and crunch some bacon over the top too I think that could work really well it would certainly look pretty it's such a beautiful dish I can't begin to tell you how much that is fabulous and it's so easy to cook for the family during the week so that's that now book club Tell me about the weekend I missed out on. I'm um, so oh, sorry I wasn't there.
0: Well, it was great. But, you know, it, I mean, I don't really know what to say except that the, the beauty of some of our book club weekend, we always go to different places. And Marjorie was our host this year. And what was special and what is often special is that someone gets to take you to somewhere that is special to them. And it's been their sort of place. place.
1: Their sanctuary. And, and
0: her place is a beautiful corner of Phillip Island. And it was just, look, and I don't really know Phillip Island that well. We've done one previous book club weekend at Rill, I think it was, another part of Phillip Island. And this part is, is very bushy, very, you feel like you're a long way away. You feel like you're remote. And yet, you know, there's a cute little general store about five minutes walk away 45 so were you minute, far out of cows? Forty-five minute, 40 minute walk into cows along right. the beach, which was beautiful. She's right behind the beach. She has bought this shack and turned it into this idyllic corner of heaven. I mean, it, it's so beautiful. And she's fixed it up only with things she's brought from the island or from her local op shop. In fact, Anna's op shop in Melbourne and she's done the most wonderful job. So that was special. The other great thing about the book club weekend, as you know, Corrie, I love an early departure because I love getting there by lunchtime on Friday. So it was a beautiful drive. We had two cars, a few, you know, a few things go wrong, but we all ended up at this beautiful sort of restaurant on a jetty in New Haven, just before Phillip Island, just over the bridge from San Remo, had a fabulous lunch and um, a couple of cocktails were drunk by some, and that I, hope, I hope not the designated drivers. Cert, well, I had one, and then I drove, so that was all right. Was it? And it wasn't a strong cocktail. But then, um, oh look, we just we went to wine bars. We had long walks. Marjorie took us to her friend's house, who bought out all his. Parents' beautiful old china set the table, put on an extension, and hosted us all for dinner on Saturday night.
1: Oh, how lovely. And we all
0: dressed up, and there was, we arrived, and there was. The a, photos
1: look very jolly. I wondered how Marjorie collected all that beautiful glassware. Oh, look, it was just
0: incredible. And we rented two houses. We played lots of Scrabble.
1: Nikki had a birthday. Michelle,
0: as you know, is the best cake maker on earth, and she made this incredible cake. We all ate far too much food, played so much Scrabble. Gina got two seven letter words in one game. Well, hope, that was a highlight. I,
1: I hope the practice has helped you game because dare I say I bet you and Annie the other day We, <laughs> we had a lot and we had a
0: lot it was a, it was a weekend of reminiscing and
1: nostalgia. We reminisced about
0: book club weekends past and we 'd made a list of all the places we 'd been to we 'd forgotten a few we, we added to the list.
1: No, that's great. great. Well, our book club's been going twenty seven years, Caro, So there are lots of getaways. Oh, I, to... I beg to. I reckon it's twenty eight. No, I can. I, I, I have done the sums on this. I but keep, I was pregnant people... with
0: Ned, and he's twenty seven now. So it has to be twenty eight years.
1: Yeah, but we started in the twenty seventh year. We start like it's twenty seven. It's twenty seven years ago that we had our first meeting. That's yeah. how it adds up because your child is twenty seven. We started when you were pregnant. Okay.
0: All right. We started in nineteen ninety Exactly. So
1: okay. I, I get asked all the time what makes a good book club because we run quite a few of them in the shop. And I just thought, I know we've done this before, but I just thought as people are starting to think, mm, maybe in the new year, I might start a book club. Here are some things to consider. No fewer than four people at a meeting, but no more probably than 12, 13 max. That's the ideal number, I reckon. Yep. And if you have four don't panic and cancel the night. Four is a great book club, I have to tell you. Oh, I agree um, with that. The second thing is someone has to be the boss. Someone has to be the boss on the night. So whether it's the host or whether you take it in turns or in the case of the bookshop, I am the one who runs it, uh, you definitely need someone to, to run the meeting. And then also someone has to choose the book. This whole thing of let's have a democratic vote, crap, forget it. Like everybody ends up arguing. Just someone choose a book, but the person who chooses the book must do good research onto this topic. Is the book accessible? Will most members or all members enjoy it? Ask your local bookseller for advice. Old-fashioned concept, but it works. Have a backup in case most members have already read it. So say, for example, Caro, you rocked up to book club and said, oh, um, the next book we're going to do is Boy Swallows Universe or The Dry by Jane Harper. Most of the people around the table are going to go, oh, yeah, you know, done that, done that. Have a backup plan, okay? Um, Try some nonfiction occasionally, but look for a nonfiction book that does have themes and issues and good writing because there is some nonfiction that does not have these things. And I would say avoid politics. If you're going for nonfiction, just avoid politics. Have your meetings every four or six weeks. Set your dates at the start of the year like you like to, to. Get all your things organized and don't change the dates. Because if you start saying, oh, I can't come, oh, let's see if we can change it. Like the email blah, blah that goes on or the texting. Can we change, well, it well, change it to this, change to that? We've done
0: that a few times in the last two years. And in fact, I did miss the last Coastal Book Club and also the last Melbourne Book Club because dates changed. And
1: normally, and I know it's I'm slack so over annoying. footy
0: finals, but I actually could have done both of them. And it well, was you really know, disappointing. And
1: Carol, you know, with my history club, for example, we have four or five meetings a year. We've lost one meeting this year because nobody could get the date together. Oh, look, I'm actually going to be away. Oh, this or that. And we changed and changed. There was still a quorum of, you know, eight people who could have gone to history club. But because we were all faffing around, we actually missed our August meeting, which was supposed to be on the history of capitalism. So that was a bit of a bummer. And then I'm just going to say about catering. May I suggest that if you're having it at someone's home, let the host do the food, whether it's cheese and biscuits or whether it's a curry or whatever it is, but everybody brings a bottle. So, I think that's probably a fair way of doing it. And the host at the end of the night might end up with three or four extra bottles. That's a gift. Well, you'd hope so. You'd (laughs) hope
0: everyone isn't going to drink a bottle of wine.
1: (laughs) We've had book clubs where that's happened.
0: Well, back in the day we did. I think those those days are gone. I think, look, I, I think they're very good tips. There was a lot of talk over the weekend about City of Women. Um, you know, by the author mm. of Eat, Pray, Love. A What's Elizabeth her name? Gilbert? Gilbert? Yeah. He divided the room, I've got to say. Was that the chosen book? I, I can't remember whether. No, we had normally – There were two normally... choices,
1: didn't, didn't, weren't there two choices? Yes. To read?
0: But that was the one that came up a fair bit, and I hadn't read it, so. It, I didn't really partake. But some people really enjoyed it, said it was a great read. Others found it really annoying. So there you mm, go. There
1: you go. Now, Caro, I was interested to hear your views on what you thought about the ABC 730 program last week, its report on the horse racing industry, lack of care in regard to its former racehorses. Oh, it was horrifying. I.e., off to the knackery and the abattoirs. Wasn't it an extraordinary report? Yeah. It, and what does Congratulations mean? to Caro, Caro Meldrum, Hannah, the ABC reporter who worked on this story for two years—an extraordinary investigation—and I hope that your work is recognised when it comes to award season. Oh, I think it will be. I think it will be. Um,
0: look, it, it was—it was a terrible, terrible indictment on the racing industry. I'm going I'm, to—I'm going to segue into Crush of the Week in a minute about who I think responded brilliantly to it. But the response of you know those two Sydney shock jocks, Ray Hadley and Alan Jones was just disgraceful. You know, sort of basically saying how dare they time it on the eve of the Everest and this wonderful race. The ignoring, the ignoring of the story for nearly 24 hours or 20 hours by the telegraph in Sydney. The Australian. The Australian in across Australia. Um Just dreadful. Um, the way we treat our animals tells us how we treat ourselves. Mm. I mean, it, it's all about how a culture works. And I, I think you know, it underlined the lack of leadership in the racing industry, the fragmented nature of our racing industry, which it's, is state-based. So there's no national
1: overarching the, the thicket of bureaucracy mm. and red tape. And that, also, don't they just take themselves way too seriously? There's a small segment of the population who gamble regularly. My feeling is that there are too many races race meetings, there are too many horses and there are too many horses that are discarded once that's proven that they're not champions. Well, I mean... It, that, Maybe that, we that, just have to pair the whole thing back. I mean, if you look at the number of... It's such of, a massive
0: industry and it, it employs so many people and a lot of desperates, a lot of great people, a lot of horrible people. I mean, you think about... Um, You go back to Darren Weir and the huge amount of success he had and some of the horses still going around now and they're debating whether these horses are even worthy of being selected in races because maybe they weren't that good. It was just Darren Weir's treatment of them. And Darren Weir can't be an isolated case. Do you think all of this will put people
1: off going to the Spring Racing Carnival in Melbourne? I I think there was a pull
0: over the um, Caulfield Cup. I do. I don't think... um, And I I don't know, I wasn't at the Everest and I wasn't at the Caulfield Cup, but I've spoken to people who went to the Caulfield Cup. Look, the numbers were good. I think this is a long play, not a short play. Mm -hmm. And I I think there was a, I mean, I I listened to Jared Waitley talk about it on Monday and he is a racing aficionado and he definitely felt different, felt differently arriving at Caulfield and and he said the atmosphere was different. What about Will, my godson, Will Carter, who
1: works works in the industry? Well, we had a chat about this the morning after the story and uh, just playing it out. And so I sort of played the journo, good cop, bad cop kind of thing. And I said, the first thing you have to do is you have to work out the facts and figures. What's Godolphin's plan? And Godolphin has a really extensive thoroughbred aftercare program, which most stables do. And in fact, Lloyd Williams talked talked this week about what you know he likes to look out in a pasture of old champions. You know they look after them where where he um, where he breeds and races. But of course, he can afford to. And he's well. Got, that, you see, that's the, the thing. Land. What what if you're the down and out Queensland, uh, you know, kind of has been or wannabe trainer, and you've got all of these broken down champions or just horses who haven't quite you know, made it and you haven't got the support of owners, what do you do with a paddock full of animals? And that's where it comes back to, you know, what, how does he, how does that trainer, he or she, you know, create their own livelihood? How do they support these horses in some sort of aftercare program? It's so then you get to the, get back to this sort of premise of, do we have too many horses and where are they all going? And what is the, what is the, responsibility of the trainer or the owner once you've sold that horse not just on to the next person but the next person the next person and then a racehorse ends up in your paddock and is you know your pony for clem or rose or somebody and after a couple of years you decide the the girls have moved on they don't want to do pony club anymore and you look at this horse and you go you know what i'm getting rid of it at what point does do we all take responsibility for that horse
0: but it's, a really, it's a really sort of interesting dilemma, isn't it? Well, well I think the racing industry needs – I mean, it's like, you know, football has a players' association.
1: There needs to be a national plan. There needs to yeah. be national action. Is,
0: is there a National Horse Equine Association that, that has these strict guidelines? Well, obviously the guidelines are not there, certainly not in Queensland and certainly not – I mean, it's one thing to send horses to be slaughtered, but it's the manner in which they were slaughtered, which was just as horrifying as the slaughter itself –
1: well, we've just got to hope that charges are pressed against the Kubulche abattoir. Oh, those people, just... those people who were, were filmed by the secret cameras, were terrible. The impact. If, if the impact listeners has been, haven't seen this... The you, impact
0: has been... I mean, it's the water cooler conversation, as I totally, say. Totally.
1: It's been no all weekend. No one could weekend, talk of anything else. And I think it'll be the same for the next couple of weeks. And just, just if listeners haven't seen it, you can easily access this either via YouTube or the, the ABC's own abc.net.au website. Just go 7.30, uh, horse racing, and it was on last week, and you can see the whole thing.
0: Caro, you've got a crush. Which relates to this, and it's Bruce McAvaney. Bruce oh, Mcavney yes. opened the coverage. Good crush. Yes, he opened the Lord cru- Lord. he opened the coverage of um you know a massive race day that ch- Channel 7 was covering both the Everest and the Caulfield Cup. It's a lot and, of um, money
1: involved in producing those.
0: And Channel 7 had been silent over the Friday until um I think the other news services had been had been pretty a few very strong on the story um I think Channel 7 just, you know, did a massive puff piece on the Everest. They ignored the story on the 7.30 report. Bruce McAvaney opened the coverage on Saturday with a, a pretty heartfelt editorial. Unlike him, he he literally deviated from what he normally does. I mean, Bruce, Bruce is a great critic, but he's also – and I worked with him for three years on Talking Footy. He was a wonderful critic – but he is also a great celebrator of the sport, and for him to speak the way he did and the manner in which he did was brave. It was it made a mockery of vested interest, you know, punters and owners like Alan Jones, and it was it was just a, a wonderful way of cutting through all the crap that we had heard from a lot of those Sydney shock jocks and people in Melbourne about this issue. So, um, um, bravo, bravo, well done, Bruce. good
1: choice. BSF, Corrie. you and I have, are going to talk about the same book.
0: Well, we, we talked about Anne Patchett the other week when Mum was in and we talked about that article she wrote about having a beautiful mother, which was by way of a bit of a promotion, pre-promotion for the book. Now, Canto was, you know, is one of the, my favourite books of the last five years that I've read. I know it was written further away than that. I've now read four of her books. I loved The Dutch House. Mm. It was, um, you could say on one level, it wasn't a, I mean, um, state. I think A State of Wonder was an, a, a much more... Um,
1: Action-packed. ...dramatic book, mm. yeah. And but, so there's, was, but there's a tension in And so was Bill Canto. House.
0: But the tension, the characterisations, it's basically the story about a brother and a sister, about two siblings. And, and
1: and it's a story about forgiveness. Yes. And it reminds me that forgiveness can take a long time. It can take a lifetime mm. to actually come about. It, it, it's
0: a story about two children who lose their very who basically become, for all intents and purposes, orphaned and lose their house. And you, you go back to the stories like Rebecca with Mandalay, you know, the House of Usher. There's so many books about houses and how they are so much more than houses, how they're they're part of your very soul. And and, that, and the house becomes a character. Yeah. And certainly the Dutch House, which was this sort of strange, you know Almost a
1: folly. An in, old folly. In
0: Philadelphia, mm. is it? Um in a in a in a strange sort of area, it was a folly. It then becomes part of a neighbourhood and a suburb, and it's um what happens around this house even long after the brother and sister have left and what they do with their lives. I thought it was just a, I thought it was gripping. I couldn't put it down.
1: No, and it's it's really beautiful. And she writes so she writes so sparingly. She's so direct in her writing, and in fact, the New York Times says in this book, Anne Patchett is. Her writing is confident and unadorned, and I think that's absolutely right. And you're in from the first page, and it is a book about sibling love and what happens when families are shattered and their capacity to stay together. You know, some families fall apart, but some families can stay together, and why? But not giving anything away at all. This is not not a spoiler alert, but Danny, who's the narrator, the younger brother and his older sister, Maeve, when they're in early adulthood, there's a scene in the book where they're sitting in the car, sitting outside the um, the Dutch house, which they often did nostalgically, just drive up and see the old house. And they're both smoking a cigarette and they're looking at the the house and they're talking about the old days and everything. And I could feel that because only a few months ago, again, I drove up at my old street where I grew up and I sat outside our old home, which thankfully is still standing And the memories, you can almost smell the wisteria. You can almost, you know, feel the dirt in the gardens where you used to play. And I don't know, it's just so strong, so emotional. And um, I defy any of us to not be overwhelmed when you go back and visit a family home. And that's what this book does to me. It just takes us right back there.
0: As my mother says, there are streets of Melbourne she can never drive down. She just can't drive down them. She finds it too sad.
1: It's just, it's so emotional, isn't it? Mm. And it's its just pure nostalgia for, for a past and a childhood that we used to have anyway. I just loved it. Now, you have a scream. And I've got an apology
0: because remember I said to you two weeks ago when a star comes out and promotes a film from another country, it's usually because they're worried the film's a dud and it's not going to work. René Zellweger stars as Judy Garland in the film Judy. I could not have been more wrong. Couldn't have been more wrong. So tick, tick. This is a wonderful film. It reminded me a lot. The the concept reminded me a lot of that other wonderful film. I think I saw it with you, My Weekend with Marilyn, My Week with Marilyn, Mm. when Marilyn Monroe, late in her career, well, as it turns out, late in her very short life, flies to London to make The Prince and the Showgirl with Laurence Olivier, and she's... Unreliable. He's temperamental. He's very fragile. He's a you know on a series of um, series of me- self medicating disasters. Um, so very similar idea. Judy Garland is at the end of. She's in her mid forties. She's a bit of a has been. She's got debt. She has no home. She can't look after her children. She, she takes a them from hotel tablets. to hotel. And um, the impresario Bernard Delfonte, who. In a film I saw earlier this year um, brought Stan and Ollie, Laurel and Hardy, to England to do a series of shows film. late in their career. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you, you
1: reviewed it on the podcast and then I saw it a couple of months later. Well, I loved it.
0: Well, that was set in the 50s and that was a story again told in flashbacks of them going to all these tragic old halls around the UK, but it ends up having very successful moments. And um, Bernard Delfont was the impresario who brought them out. Well, flash forward to the mid-60s and Bernard Delfont, played by Michael Gambon, is running the talk of the town and he offers Judy for her a huge amount of money where, and she's still huge in London to come out and perform and do this series of shows over Christmas, New Year. They put her up in a nice hotel. She's incredibly fragile. Renée Zellweger is wonderful as Judy Garland. Um, the the flashbacks to the making of the Wizard of Oz and the brutal treatment she received from that sleazebag Harvey Weinstein-esque bully Louis B. Mayer. Um and the you know, the the ridiculous regime the studio system made her live under, work under, was so horrifying. Horrifying. Um her secret love for Mickey Rooney, look, it's got everything, Corrie. It is she marries her fifth husband during the film and that's a disaster. Um, little Lorna Luft and her little brother um, sort of early on in the film she goes to a party um, where her, um, I think hosted by her daughter Liza who's just starting out on her career early in the film but it's the scenes in London the loneliness but also some of the most brilliant she does all her own singing and she does it, she does the trolley song she does Over the Rainbow I mean it, look, it's just wonderful it's wonderful there's this one scene where this gorgeous gay couple who love her are waiting outside the um, club at the end of the night and, you know, she's pretty lonely and pretty tragic and they ask for her autograph and they end up trying to find somewhere to have a late dinner or a drink. Nothing's open. So she goes back to their little flat and they make her scrambled eggs. It is just – it's a beautiful scene. There are so many great scenes in this. It's a triumph. Go and see it. It made me cry. It was very, very sad. I was
1: planning to see it with – one of my many friends, whose name is Jane, on Sunday after the closing the shop, and I text her at about three o'clock, and I said, "Backs hurting? How about a drink back at my place?" So uh, that was see ancient. that, yeah, and that's it's so
0: easy to do that. But I
1: was really glad I did it for the no, podcast, I and I, I just, don't regret it. I, I promise you, over summer, I'm going to get better. Now on but to try food. and see this one because you'll love it. No, I will because I love Judy Garland. I love the whole story around her. Um, I'm going to I'm going to keep it brief. I was going to give you this fabulous recipe. Take note out of the shared table: marinated zucchini, asparagus, and halloumi. This is the perfect time of year to make this. It's one of the best. Look, you could have it as a main course if you wanted to. It's one I of the best salads. Beautiful. Yeah, it's great. I'm just going to give you a super quick one. This is from Round Two Hours by Laura Jackson, and as Miss Jane said, Alice Levine of um, my dad made a porno, wrote a porno podcast. <laughs> Now, the night you came for dinner with Brendan Caro, you remember that we had a barbecued butterfly leg of lamb. This recipe is the tapenade that goes with the lamb, and you actually put it on the lamb well in advance, so it's a bit like a marinade. And this is it, and it's so easy, but gosh, it just added something, a bit of salt, a bit of moisture to the lamb. It was brilliant. The tapenade, two garlic cloves chopped, two tablespoons of capers well rinsed, one 30-gram tin of anchovy fillets, chop them up, 160 grams of kalamata olives, pitted, 15 grams of flat-leaf parsley, leaves only, four tablespoons of olive oil, sea salt and black pepper. Now, I didn't stick to any of those numbers there, Cara. as you know, I'm more it's of a very hard to good. weigh parsley leaves, isn't it? It's you ridiculous. You put them on the scale. <laughs> Say a bunch or half a bunch, for goodness I know, sake. I know, I know. Anyway... Uh, my point about this is, depending on how many people you have, depending how much lamb you have, uh, you know, just do it by feel and taste. It's fantastic. Rub it all over your lamb. Now, what the girls in this book do is they actually roast a leg of lamb. So they have the leg of lamb with the bone, about two kilos, and they roast it in with garlic and carrots and onions and all of that. So you can either apply this as a roast or over summer for a barbecue. It is. Brilliant. It's such a good so recipe. Could you leave it twenty four hours in that Well we didn't. Um we I because I was with um daughter Francesca as we were working our way through all these recipe books. So we put it on in the morning. And what time did you oh, we had dinner, didn't we? So um you look you it's could possibly, day. I don't know. And but, then
0: you and then you barbecued it with the tapenade on.
1: Correct. Um
0: and then did you add more at the end? No.
1: No, just no, I think what happened was that um well I know what happened. When Pete was just about to take it off, he basted it again. Yeah. And then was, we let and then we careful. let the lamb sit. So again, make sure that you don't overcook the lamb. Such a great recipe. Now, grumpy. You're I'm grumpy, I'm grumpy about oh, I'm so grumpy no, about lots of things, but you're going to be well, grumpy today. I, I thought
0: it was time for me to be grumpy. <laughs> I know
1: have been I've been a bit grumpy lately. <laughs>
0: I am grumpy.
1: You can claim the grumpy
0: spot. <laughs> all our national newspapers and state newspapers did a wonderful thing this week when they um rewrote all of their front covers about and and for you know and basically launched the campaign for press freedom in a in a great united stand against what the government is currently trying to do. However, we as proud as I was of that stand I was by the same measure disgusted by an article in the News Limited press on Saturday of last week. Corrie, there there is this predilection now to um, when you can't – when you feel that the story is just a bit too over the top or maybe you can't quite prove it or you're not quite sure or you can't get anyone to ver- verify it, what do you do? You write the whole story as fact without naming names. It happened last <coughs> year, it happened earlier this year, it mentioned an AFL legend and his marriage problems. Everyone involved in the industry knew who it was about, but it was a gutless either write the story or don't write the story, but don't write about no names. That is not what public interest is all about as this press freedom campaign is basically campaigning for. The story on in Saturday's gossip column was about a Turek Sion, um a man Who's been overseas on a boys' trip and come back with a with a venereal disease? Oh, I mean, whoopsie do. Why? What? The, the the word clap was in the headline. Oh
1: God's um, sakes!
0: There was a. It was all about how he's brought an unexpected gift home. His wife's not happy. They're going to get divorced soon. Um, he the excuse he gave his wife was that the other blokes brought in prostitutes and made him do it. Um, It was all by accident, and I'm. I only one of one of my a member of my family sent me a copy of the story by way of saying, "Can you believe this?" And I I read it out to some of the girls at the book club weekend, and someone said, "Oh, gee, he must have um, upset someone for them to write this story." What? what?" And I I on so
1: many levels, I'm agitated. Who are the friends, or who are the sources? uh, Who's who's blabbed, and what are the journalists thinking? But what? Why? Why, why? why would you do it?
0: I mean, would you do it to someone who lives in Sunshine or Coburg or Juan Turner or Bro- does it I mean not that it matters about that but the fact is that he's someone who lives in Turak and he lives and on And they map might 59. be able to use that word socialized. I don't I don't understand why you would it, it was mean. It was and it doesn't name the person. So in every way it's just a disgusting I think, breach of privacy and not in the public interest at all. I mean, when Lawrence Money started doing the spy column for the Sunday Age, when we were there for the launch of the Sunday Age, I remember the whole point of his columns was about the idiosyncrasies of the rich and famous, which is in a way fine. And he had certain rules and he stuck to them. Now, and he he, he named people.
1: But then and often he would go to them for a quote, and often they would talk to him, and but so it that became then a story. It was funny, and it, there was there was something. But it was well sourced, Carol. You knew you were in good hands, and even if Laurie and there Money was a wolf didn't about name, it. yeah, and even if he didn't name a name you knew that he'd done all the hard yards and that there was a reason that you were reading this story. And then, of course, there would be the reason in the last paragraph or something like that. You knew that there was a point to this.
0: So I don't know whether the journalist is going to get extra money with this new sort of clickbait sort of program that um, I heard talked about um, on on our friend's podcast, um, Craig Hutchison and Damien Barrett's podcast a few weeks ago, but it just made me sick. Not almost as sick as the fact that that horrible Kyle Sandylands has signed this massive contract with his partner. Um, what's
1: her name? Miss Jane. Jackie O. Jackie O. Why I, do th- people... I think Miss Jane met Kyle on the weekend at some conference.
0: Why do people listen to those horrible people when they're so nasty and mean-spirited about everyone? I mean, and again, Sydney Corrie.
1: They wouldn't work in Melbourne. I'm, I'm not going there with that one. Anyway, you can launch quick, six quick questions. I'll ask if you, you like. a question. Do you think Steve Smith should once again captain Australia? No,
0: I don't. I don't. I think he's a wonderful batsman, and he has been a wonderful. He's, he's shown great character and great bravery and great strength. Quite apart from the fact um, he's also played some unbelievable, unique, once in a lifetime, once in a, once in a uh, century cricket, but. Um, No, I don't think he is Captain Material. I think that he's done that. I agree. And I, and I don't think it means... And his that, game's
1: probably better for it, Caro.
0: Yeah, I don't think it means that we can't celebrate him. But I think Tim Payne's the man to captain Australia. Corey, now this is—I'm desperate to ask you about this. Ronan Farrow's new book, "Catch and Kill," which is the Weinstein. This is a guy. Hashtag me too. He's one of the guys who um, shared the Pulitzer Prize for. Him, and he tried to get NBC wouldn't run it. He ended up. He ended up going to the New York Times. Didn't he? Or new the Yorker. New York? Sorry, um, he's written "Catch and Kill." And the, the, Dylan Howard, our old friend Dylan Howard from Channel 7... Might is be now, your old friend, Caro. He's certainly not a friend of mine. He was not a friend of mine either, but um, I did have to deal with him. used to work him. at Channel 7. Well, when the AFL revoked his media pass, I had to deal with him for a while. But um, So he's threatening to sue bookshops in Australia if they stock this book, Catch and Kill. So my question is, will you be stocking it? I am.
1: <gasps> I am. Freedom of the press, Caro. Have alive you, and well at my bookshop. Has he sent individual legal threats to bookshop? No, that's that is a bit of a beat up. But he has his his um his lawyers have said that they have told the publishers that they might take action. So Dylan Howard has gone on to bigger and better things, or better, depending on how you look at it. He is now living in the states, and he is now an executive at American Media Inc. And he is a former editor of the National Enquirer, which, of course, was the vehicle through which Donald Trump and also Harvey Weinstein's uh, movers and shakers tried to get the story, um, you know, uh, put the spin on it. So get Harvey Weinstein's story out there. And Dylan, um, uh, Ronan Farrow says in his book, which is all being verified um Through different sources, it's been legal.ed It's now a book for goodness' sake, and it was it was based on stories that want to pull its surprise. So we believe what we're reading here is that um, Harvey Weinstein, uh, through through his associates, put pressure on the National Enquirer to get rid of the story, kill the story, and actually try and find some dirt on the. Uh, actress, what was her name? Rose, um, Rose McGowan. Yep. Try and find some dirt on her. No, no I'm, I'm aware of the stories. I remember reading them. At and the so, time. Th- so this book is all about not not just the particular Weinstein Rose McGowan thing and the and the National Enquirer, but all sorts of uh, different pressure that was put on it's different about the people. hush campaign. Exactly. By it's a, lot- a really good read and I'm hoping to get to it in the next couple of weeks and give people a review. But what's happened is that Hachette, who is the distributor of the publisher Little Brown in Australia, has uh, received um, notification that if any booksellers sell it, there could be legal action taken on behalf of um, our former Channel 7 mm-hmm. friend Dylan Howard. And uh, no, nothing has come to booksellers Nothing's crossed my desk except a note from Hachette saying, "If you do receive anything, please let us know." But what confused me was that two online distributors, including Amazon in Australia, last week just had the complete knee-jerk reaction and refused to sell it. They've now changed their view on that; they're now selling it. But really, I mean, just so weak in the face of in the face of well, it's an interesting
0: tactic by Dylan, who famously was once told by Brendan Gale at a press conference. Your form's not great, Dylan. It's not great. That was when Brendan was running the Players Association and that was, I think, to do with I agree those, with, um, I agree with Brendan those purloined um, medical records that Channel 7 ran about the two um, Hawthorne players. Anyway. But what um, happens when a
1: book, I mean, it's like Cardinal Louise Milligan, you know, we were... And Australia's, uh, uh, it's our legal system because in well, America right. he
0: can't do anything. No, but that's it, so right. So turned to
1: Australia, which is interesting. Exactly, which is interesting. Which is interesting. But, but what happened with Louise Milligan's Cardinal, of course, was that we had that book out for sale for two or three weeks. And then, of course, George Pell was charged. So, of course, we have to all take the books off the shelves, and we're instructed, and we did as we were instructed to do. But there's there's, there's no, nothing has happened here. It's just a threat. So, until there's actually evidence that what Ronan Farrow has written is incorrect, pfft, some of the people
0: who turned, I mean, Tom Brokaw, all these great, you know, you know, famous journalists, famous media personalities in America who just turned a blind eye and um, froze out Ronan Farrow and, and the other and the two women journalists who shared the Pulitzer was just enough. And, and then it turns out they've all got fawned themselves. It's a disgrace.
1: Um, now my question to you, Kevin Klein, one of my favourite actors, he turned seventy-two this week, Caro. Oh Everyone's getting so old. What's your favourite Kevin Klein movie? Well, it,
0: I should be asking you this question because I'm not a fan of Kevin Kline. Oh, Klein. aren't you? Oh, I think I he's the so Big comedic. Chill I one love of the him. most overrated films. Oh, no, I can't films. stand
1: The Big Chill. But what no, about my, Sophie's my fav- Choice? My favourite is
0: A Fish Called Wanda. Definitely. Oh, okay.
1: yeah, 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 definitely. He was, he, he was e- good not, in that
0: and uh, it was a great film. E-
1: not Eagle. What was his name?
0: Oh, I'll think about it in a second. Um,
1: what,
0: Corey, yeah. what annoys you most about AFL Trade Week?
1: Oh, okay. So all of the players who say, oh, I just want to move closer to home.
0: Or oh yeah the go I just want to factor. be near, I just
1: want to be near my family. Okay, I understand that. I've had a son who's lived interstate for nearly five years. I get it. I totally get it. But you've got a finite time when you can play this game. You're at the peak of your power. You are, uh, you are a, uh, an elite sports athlete, and you are working for a club that happens to be in a state that's not your home state. There's a part of me that sort of thinks, "Oh, suck it up. Am I being too harsh? No, look, look don't worry. I, I just thought if I heard that one more time last well, week, I was going to throw a sock at the wireless. Particularly
0: when they're desperate to get home to Queensland, but the Sydney Swans offer them $800,000 a year, so maybe they, can, maybe they can see their way clear to going and living in it's another state pathetic. for a bit longer.
1: Um, Caro, do you buy lottery tickets?
0: I used to. I haven't for years. I used to I, I used to do it with our friend Sal. We had a little system going and we were so hopeless. We kept forgetting whose turn it was. And we did it for years. I think the most we ever won was about $24 or $30. We'd buy a bottle of champagne and share it and then we'd wait to the next one. But no, I don't. For okay. you.
1: Um, no, never have. Well, I did once and I, nothing happened. So, And I didn't know how to use the machine. So. <laughs> and the lady had to help me and it was all very embarrassing. We probably should.
0: There's a lot of, although someone said it would be easier to ring, to work out the phone number to ring a friend in Nigeria than to win, you know, That's the right. win the, anyway, you know what, you know what That's I'm right. saying? The odds are not great.
1: Give me my Cor- TAB phone account anytime. More importantly, Corrie, do you have a GLT? I do, Carol. So this happened also the night you came to dinner and I was cooking the chocolate hazelnut and um, oh, date tort. It was beautiful. And, um, and so what I normally do when I'm cooking is I put all the ingredients out. And this is my tip when you're cooking, particularly a cake, but put all your ingredients out on the bench so it's all cut, all diced, all measured, all there so you can see it. Because what happened was that I put the cake in the oven, turned around and there's the bag of self-raising flour. Bucker, forgot to put the flour in the cake. So I pulled it out How of did the you oven. Forget to put flour in a cake. Exactly because I had the grandchildren <laughs> running around. I had Francesca asking me questions. Like it, was a, it was a full-on cooking session. It was a lot of fun, but I, I, momentarily i had taken off the ball. So I got the the tort t- out of the oven. And How I long had it been in the oven? Oh, literally twenty seconds. I literally put it in the oven, turned around, and saw the bag. Right, idiot. But had I not seen that bag, Caro, I would have forgotten to put it in. So that's my point. Make sure all of your ingredients are there. But then the second part of it is make sure you use all the ingredients. So I whipped so, it in. Did you notice the difference? No. No, no I, I didn't. Just, I folded it in. So I kept the mixture in you the baking tray. didn't even take tray. it out of the cake no, tin. No, I kept in the cake tin with the baking, baking um, paper, and I, which, again, that is a great good local tip that we had years ago from, I don't know, was it Jeff Slattery or someone? Um, wet your ba- baking paper and crunch it up, and it's so much easier to lay oh, lay out on, on, you, on your tin. Oh, oh it's such a great tip, too. So that's what I'm saying. If it says, you know, eggs, butter, flour, blah blah, vanilla essence, and everything, put it all out before you start cooking. Very good. Actually, Very
0: actually, great. I went down the Nigella Road, one of her famous fish curries last night, and I did that. I put
1: everything out. So, um, yes, yeah, so that is a good tip. Lovely catching up with you, Caro. Next week we have a special guest who's going to join us, and we're going to talk about books that we have loved this year. It's going to be quite a bookish episode next year, but also music as well. Great. He is a well-known national DJ, former DJ. I have, and I have a tried
0: and true old recipe that you will love next week. Wonderful.
1: Too. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. And please tell your friends and family to subscribe to us. We love gaining more listeners because it just means our family grows and the love grows too. Any feedback, do send it to us, comments, tips, suggestions. Don't shoot the Messenger Facebook page. I'm so full of love because I didn't do a grumpy. (laughs) Um, You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, of course, at Don't Shoot Pod. And as I said before, we're having a Christmas party. Stay tuned for more details next week. We hope you can come along with us. And um I would like to thank Miss Jane our lovely producer and Carol what do we say Don't shoot the messenger